Consistency is key, they say. But how big of a deal is it when it comes to fantasy rugby in the MLR? The Fantasy Rucker Show starts right now. Where rugby and the world of fantasy sports collide. Welcome to the Fantasy Rucker Show. Bringing fantasy rugby to the masses. Talking all things rugby from the MLR to leagues around the world. We're on top of it. Headphones on, pads off. This is the Fantasy Record Show. Now, here are your hosts, Ryan Yee, Matt Yee, and Devin Vanderpool. What's up, everybody? This is episode number 30 of the Fantasy Rucker Show. Thanks so much to our Fantasy Ruckers League members. Thanks so much to our community members and everyone else tagging along on this journey of trying to make fantasy rugby a reality in the MLR. I'm Ryan Yee. With me, as always, Matt Yee, Devin Vandy Vanderpool. Guys, episode number 30, and we're rolling Dirty 30, here. baby. Absolutely. The dirty thirties. Yeah. Dirty thirty. And and yeah, we might be at thirty episodes in, but we still got a lot of stuff to talk about. It might be the off season too. Mm-hmm. So I'm in whole... peak form, baby. I'm in peak form. Exactly. Whole yeah, bunch of stuff. Peak at the worst time. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> whole bunch of we were starting off the top hot here guys um so much to talk about yeah it might be the mlr off season but there's still a whole lot of drama going along around the mlr that we're going to cover about lots of news lots of roster moves vandy your uh utah warriors seem to be uh, making, making moves. a whole bunch of moves to set them up for the 2023 season we'll break down and see whether or not it's moves that uh their newest fan actually likes we'll see whether or not that's the case but yeah if you aren't following us already at the Fantasy Ruckers, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. That's where you're going to get the inside scoop on all the, uh, all the good stuff about Fantasy Rugby. And the moves we're making, trying to make it a reality in the MLR. And hey, that's also where you're going to find out when we are able to expand this thing. And if you can join a league of your own, you'll want to, uh, you'll want to follow us there because that's where you'll get uh, the notification first and be in first to know about, uh, about this whole Fantasy Rugby situation. But uh, with that being said, man... Episode 30, lots to get into, so let's hop right into it. we got to ask TFR show question, and I don't know if you guys were aware. Right off the top. Right off the top, top, Off the top. There's a draft coming up in about just a little bit over a week. Thursday, August 18th is when uh, the 20... 22 MLR draft will be happening. Uh, it's, it's coming up quickly. It felt like it was miles away, but it's right next week, and it's going to be really, really exciting to see the new kind of wave of young talent coming through the league. Hey, a guy was able to do it last year, Penny Lasaka on, uh, on, or excuse me, Tavit Lopetti of the Seattle Seawolves winning uh, the Rookie of the Year, obviously making a huge, huge impact in the world of, uh, of rugby in the MLR and also in the, the world of fantasy rugby as well. He was absolutely able to make a dominant impact there. So we're going to try to look for that guy next Thursday. But before that does happen, we have a question for you guys about rookies in the okay. MLR. Okay. And that question is... When it comes to drafting the rookies coming up in this 2023 year, how early are you guys willing to take a shot at one of these rookies? And if so, what situation does it have to be for you guys to make that decision? Matt, I'll let you guys go first. I mean, look, there's already enough uncertainty with these drafts already. I mean, just look at the draft, my draft last year. Half the guys I picked didn't even play for half the season. Half the guys other people picked didn't even play for half the season. You have no idea. And the one thing that's great about having a season under our belts, finally, is being able to have the data to actually rely on for guys who have played last season. 
You know, you can actually look at these points and say, okay, yeah, I'm not just guessing. I'm making an actual pick for a good reason. And yep. uh, the thing with these rookies is that you're essentially just guessing with these guys, you know. Um, they're coming out of universities. You know, I don't know how much university rugby is you get to see or how much film you're going to want to watch. But, uh, but yeah, it, it'll be a tough one for me. I'll probably have to wait until I have my every position solidified and then I'll take a, I'll take a jump on a rookie to maybe uh, maybe see if they can fit in my bench. And if they start going off, then I'll just be lucky to have them. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, what? I think I I think I follow right behind with that same ideology. Weirdly enough, I agree with you, Matt. I think you're right. Uh, you know what? With the inconsistent, I mean, look at last year's draft. I think it drafted three teams worth of players. It just happened two thirds of them weren't playing anymore. But <laughs> I mean, it'll be a lot better this year, obviously. But no, same thing. I think the uncertainty I have with rookies, and you know, uh, I'd have to agree. I think I'll get what I need, kind of lock out certain positions I'm hoping for, and then I'll take a stab. But I won't be sleeping on Co this year. I can tell you that, boys. Woo! Well, good thing he ain't a rookie. Yeah, ain't ain't a rookie this year. That's for sure. He's got his first MLR season under his belt. Um, yeah, a really interesting point, guys. I think to your guys' point, the way that fantasy rugby and MLR operates already, it's very very volatile. I mean, we've mentioned that on episodes throughout the uh, throughout the season, throughout this off season, and just reminding people that just the way that it was formatted, it was uh, it was very volatile, very up and down. It was hard to predict, especially Matt, uh, what you were saying that we didn't have any of these stats uh, to go off of from the previous year. We had kind of some underlying stats that we were able to extrapolate from the season before, from that 2020 season, but ultimately we didn't have that fantasy rugby season under our belt. But now that the inaugural season has happened, we can kind of make maybe a little bit of a better educated guess on how kind of some of these guys will perform um very yeah very interesting point to your eyes is uh, uh for your guys reference to Vit lopetti who we just mentioned who won rookie of the year and probably had the biggest impact as a rookie in that last 2022 season he was drafted 11.3 or excuse me 6.6 so sixth round sixth pick so still pretty high middle tier rounds um obviously a lot of expectation happening uh coming into the season with him so uh, I believe it was Rugby Morning who did draft him, and obviously that that, that paid off for him um, getting that Rookie of the Year on his squad. So it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what fantasy managers are willing to take that roll of the dice on a on a guy that is going to possibly have a fantasy impact. I mean, this is where it's going to pay off if you're you know big into the scenes of U.S. rugby and U.S. collegiate rugby and who's coming up and who's you know coming through the ranks of of the Eagles, um, maybe even some Canadian guys. That's that's going to be an advantage when you're when you're scouting out these rookies and deciding when to draft them. I mean, I'm assuming Rugby Morning knew Tavit Lopetti was going to be a big thing before what when he drafted him in the sixth round. So, I mean, I didn't know who the heck the guy was, but Rugby Morning is clearly tuned in. Hey Ryan, do you have a do you have any other notable rookies? Or am I? Am I so I was I was actually I was just going to get to that. So right here, so kind of talking about the 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 other rookies that maybe could have, you know, and also a fantasy rugby impact. Um, I want to mention kind of the situational idea of these rookies. Cause I think this applies to a lot of different fantasy sports and Vandy, you could probably relate to this most when it comes to fantasy football, but as much of you want to take into account the draft capital that is used on these players, you know, getting picked, yeah. you know, in the top, you know, 10 picks or what have you, situation matters man if you're going to a crappy 100%. team right and they just you know aren't finding the try line aren't getting into the offensive zone aren't aren't on a team that is having a lot of possession it doesn't matter if you're picked in the top 10 True. 
you're still not going to have those opportunities to gain those fantasy points. So this is to answer your question, Vandy, another notable rookie that was picked in the 2021 draft was Eric Naposki. And he okay. was on the Dallas Jackals. Yeah. He was first overall pick in 2021. But that didn't matter because the yeah. Dallas Jackals weren't good. So he wasn't getting the opportunity. Well, he wasn't getting the scoring chance. He, he was. He, he, he fell, you know, he fell off the thing. So he was part he, of the ones was, that fell. He was part of the ones that fell, so he was having a tough time himself. <laughs> you know what on. I mean? You know, like you can't really, you can't really. I'm right. You you set me up for that one. Look, you bring up Eric Kaposki. <laughs> right? I had him on my team when he fell off the thing. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> he fell. I'm like, what? From what? Heaven? Like, what did he fall from? <laughs> oh, he fell from seven feet, baby. Six feet. Come on. Six feet. I'm sorry. He's still causing to have a you know a knee injury and come back like a superhuman for the end of the season. He was six feet from the edge and he was six years. <laughs> <laughs> well, nonetheless, to my point though, regardless of whether it's the seven foot you know landing that you're falling off of, you could probably expect that. Let's say, for example, Tavit Lopetti went to the Dallas Jackals. He's not doing what he was doing on the Seattle SeaWolves. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Hundred percent. Matt. Yeah. No, Gee, come, come on, man. You're right. come on, you're right. man. You Look, know. Hey, hey, hold on. Hold on, though. Let's give the Dallas Jackals some credit. They scored points. They you scored. There was a person who picked up Eric Naposki right before before the incident happened because he was scoring tries. Okay, I got Was he not scoring now. tries? He was scoring tries. I had him on my team. You know, I don't always make great selections. I don't always make great selections, but he... He was a good selection until, you know, fate right, took let it me, into let his me, hands. Let me pull this up for you. Let me let me pull yeah. up the weekly performance for Eric Naposki, okay? Please, so, yes, please. he went he went on a three-game stretch where he, okay. you know, had some fantasy significance. Eight and a half fantasy points in, I believe, week five. 6.8 in week six. 5.8 in week seven. And then from that okay. season on, one, one, zero, zero, zero. Zero, one, zero. And yes, that has to go with well, some of those on the games. ones and zeros. He's, he's trying to recover. He's trying to recover. I, okay, for a guy, dude, minutes, eh? for, I, I got to say, Vandy, for a guy that has been bagging on the Dallas Jackals yeah. for this whole time, all Look, of a sudden Dallas this guy Jackals, pulls a 180, and all of a sudden yeah. the Dallas Jackals oh, are the best team the in Dallas, the MLR. No, 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 the Dallas Jackals, <laughs> What is yes. going on here? Eric Naposki. That guy made it work for some of the season before the incident happened. He hit you up off season. He's like, draft me, baby. Hey, me and Naposki, we go way back. All right. So are you going against my whole uh, whole concept here, Matt, that situation doesn't matter? I'm not saying. Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that situations don't matter. But, hey, if the guy scores tries, then the guy scores tries. Okay. No, they hey, lose. Wasn't as they, much lose as what they lose. They lose by fifty, but he scores a try every game. I'm still picking him up. Sure, yeah, he didn't. Sure, but he didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he well, had a three game stretch. If we're talking pure hypotheticals, <laughs> he, he would. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would pick any player that can score a try every game, but they, that doesn't happen. And you know, it's not going to happen on the Dallas Jackals too, because you know, they're well, not hey, last season. Hey, that's for hey, sure. Move on. Andrew Coe says that if some guy gets drafted by the Dallas Jackals, you should pick him up because apparently they're going to be dope this year. But he did say that. 
All right. That's so now where you flip from, switch, eh? Right, from last to worse. He's now all one of a sudden comment, he's split. One right, exactly. The Andrew Cole inside scoop. I don't know. But where I'm getting this from, though, I will give a shout out to uh, at MLR Stats on Instagram, at Jam Delay on Twitter. Um, he's on MLR Stats on Discord as well. He's in our community. He's been dropping off some great content in our uh, Discord community. If you're not in our community yet, make sure you uh, check it out. The link is below in the description. But he, uh, he, he came up with a great little graphic here that has all this stuff. Uh, just to go over as we kind of tie a bow on this uh, Ask TFR show question for this week. Um, in 2021, there was three rounds of drafts, 39 draft picks. Eric Naposki, like we, we just spoke about for way too long here, um, first overall pick of that 2021 draft. A total of 130 MLR caps for all the rookies last season. Uh, 69 MLR stats across all rookies in, uh, nice. in last season as well. 21 tries scored. Uh, three weekly uh, team uh, 15 selections. Um, and yes, I mentioned Tavit Lopetti as a rookie of the year. So kind of cool insight into kind of the rookies that made an impact last year and kind of what they were able to do. And kind of a little bit of insight of of what they may be able to do in uh, in this next season for the draftees that I wonder are coming if that, in in uh, August 18th next Thursday. I wonder if those stats counted those guys who skipped out on the draft and decided that they're going to fool the system. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so because I think it says on the title "Impact of MLR Draft Classes." So I'm going to okay, assume yeah. that is just the draft, uh, not just uh, not just rookies. But hey, um, I I would have to go uh... with that for sure. So, um, yeah. And then, uh, Matt, I know you had some questions about drafts and about that, about kind of the academy teams. Uh, what was your point on that? Well, I was just wondering. I mean, what's the point of having a draft when you are trying to build academy teams as well? You know, shouldn't yeah, these guys, work? shouldn't these guys in their academy, like, shouldn't these, uh, shouldn't the clubs be enticed to lure guys into their academy to be able to develop them and then end up on their squad rather than going through this whole draft thing and making it very North American. Um, you know, like it just seems like kind of, kind of odd to have both the Academy and the draft. I get it. If you just have a draft, but no other North American sports has academies coming up. That also is a feeder into their teams. I mean, like you look at the NFL, there's no academies that are feeders into their teams. If you look at the NBA, you know, NHL, none of them has feeders that, that don't come from the draft. Well, is your Academy like a, like a farm team or your Academy just trains these guys to be eligible for the draft? I mean, look at the look at the look at the arrows, and it's like the arrows have their arrows academy. Those arrows academy plays against other academy teams, you know, the New England Free Jacks academy. But we yep. saw, I think, at least three or four guys that weren't drafted last year come through the academy and play for the arrows this year. You know, like those guys now, essentially those don't need arrows, to go through the draft process. Are those arrows academy players restricted to Toronto? Yeah, but I'm I'm assuming they they have so a contract with them. If let me let me let me let me add some clarification here. So from what I understand, and I do think that the 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 rules, not that they're kind of shoddy, but I think the clear the clarity of them for at least as a fan is kind of ambiguous i haven't really found many resources in terms of how it's exactly outlined how the academy things works i would have to do a little bit more digging through that but from what i understand um you can be draft eligible and still be on an academy team some people have been saying that through this homegrown player program that 
club or the clubs will be able to protect one player that is draft eligible and the other guys have to go through the draft process and can get scooped up um so it'd be interesting to see i think we'll as we go on we'll see more and more of that and how that kind of operates and this whole tandem between academy teams and drafting and stuff because matt you do have a point um it's, it's interesting how the MLR is trying to obviously embrace the way that rugby has traditionally been operated from around the world, right? Around mm-hmm. the world in leagues overseas, they all go through academy teams. There's no such thing as a draft for these teams. But then they're also trying to appeal to the North American crowd and give them this sense of, you know, familiarity with how other North American sports operate and give them a draft. So they're kind of trying to do this hybrid thing. I agree with you. It does provide some kind of confusion and, and, and I don't know if you can really have it both ways because like your, your point, Matt, there are, I think opportunities for people to take advantage of the whole situation. Um, and maybe doesn't allow it to become a fair process in terms of, you know, what the draft is supposed to do, which is supposed to kind of provide some parity in the league and provide, you know, opportunities for worse teams like the Dallas Jackals or, or, you know, the Houston Sabercats the year before to kind of rebuild and retool and add important players to their roster. When you have an academy system that kind of defeats that whole purpose because then you're just drawing yeah. guys. So it's interesting. I mean, I, I was just just thinking that you know you protect a player in your academy system but what happens if the guy is technically in your academy but he came up and played a game for you last season right so he comes up and plays a game for you he plays a game for you and then he can be drafted again into a league into the league I, well i have no, no idea how that right? i have no clue yeah but to that I would point say, it's just there's a lot of ambig- ambiguity around it like right. why do we have both what's going on here like what is the point and how do you differentiate the two why can't i as a team with an academy decide that, hey, this guy is going to be a good draft prospect. I'm going to sign him into my academy squad before that, get him into a game quickly, you know, the year before, and then decide that, hey, now he's on my squad. He doesn't have to go through the draft process. I can just sign. Or, hey, maybe I, maybe they're not protected if they go up. Maybe they still they still have the opportunity. I have no idea. But, yeah, Vandy, what were you saying? I was going to say the only way to me that it makes sense, and, you know, there's somebody who's not even aware of how it happens over in the other leagues, but it would be similar to hockey where that's your farm team. You draft your academy players. They're under term for X amount of years, three years, whatever. And those are the players you can pick from. So instead of having a reserve bench, let's say whatever their reserves are, I think it's what, eight? They get eight reserves? Uh, no. Something yeah, like that. eight reserves. You eight reserves. It. I would think you would double that. And now that, that reserves is like a farm team similar to NHL where those guys are interchangeable. You can bring them up, send them back down, but they're protected by your team for only a, a time limit, right? So maybe well, open up the league so that your draft is 18-year-olds or uh, – See where the the problem with that, Vandy, is the academy system. So the way that rugby traditionally works is kind of similar to the soccer system, where it's like you have homegrown talent. You go out and scout guys. You recruit them to your academy team, and they're not there. They don't even have to be drafted. So they're filling up their academy rosters with guys that haven't even been drafted yet. You know what I mean? Younger guys. You can't have both. Yeah, these so guys are getting developed in the academy right. from like the age of 16 potentially or 17 or going, you know, starting to go through that pathway. I know that the Arrows have a, a complete pathway from like U14 all the way up to, right. to Arrows Academy. There's a pathway that you are supposed to take and how you can get scouted and recruited into that Arrows Academy. And yeah, I, I like 
but it's, also it's just it's just a weird situation like you're trying to saying, tailor it to north america and, it's kind of uh, like a weird system to begin with yeah. the fact that you can i don't know if it's like soccer you can loan players is that a thing you can well, do like, i would, an academy I would loan a player to like new zealand I mean, there right. have been loans in the MLR. There have been, like, we saw it last yeah. season. Yeah. We saw it last yeah, season yeah. where there were guys that were loaned for a few weeks and stuff like that, so I don't know. But mm-hmm. I think what I would probably have to dig more into, especially ahead of next Thursday's draft, is see how the MLS does it. Because I'm pretty sure, right, doesn't the MLS, MLS have, have a draft? They have a draft. And they also have academies. So I think that would probably be the closest thing to probably have yeah. a look at. I'm not too familiar with the MLS, so I'm going to have to dig deeper in that and see how they operate it. I'm not sure what kind of the overarching or the general consensus of how that works is with MLS fans. Probably have to do some digging here, but I mean, um, the only thing I, yeah, I was just going to say the only thing I know about the MLS is that an MLR championship was won in an MLS stadium. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think, I think that, 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 uh, that is a very interesting point, Matt, but uh, definitely something that the MLR will consider. I mean, Continuing to tweak to. with as we go out. I understand why they want to have a draft. I do think that it provides an extra kind of thing to do in the offseason. You know what I mean? It's a thing that people are hyping up about. It's just like the NFL, right? They, they, it's, it's something to provide people with content in yeah. the offseason when there aren't actual games going on. So I can understand why there's a collegiate draft. Um, yeah. But I'm not too sure sure kind of how that operates i i I have no idea we'll have to have to look into that a little bit closer but yeah definitely check out the graphics and and all the other fantastic stuff that at mr stats is doing um on instagram on twitter at jam delay because uh i I took that graphic from him there and using that as kind of the framework for this question um and yeah make sure you're checking out next week's draft thursday Mm -hmm. august 18th um i believe i want to make sure that i get this right i believe it is 7 p.m east Eastern time on Fox Sports 2 and the Rugby Network. Ooh. So make sure you're tuning into that as well. Um, three yeah. rounds of drafts. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be it's going to be cool to see kind of what players are, are coming up and again uh, trying to see and, and work out how much of an impact this draft actually has on not only actual rugby in the MLR, but more importantly, guys, fantasy, fantasy rugby. rugby. That's exactly. right. Exactly. So uh, that will do it for the Ask TFR Show question. Make sure if uh, you got a question for us, you're curious about how fantasy rugby operates in the MLR, kind of interested about this project, how we're trying to make it a reality, make sure you hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, using the hashtag Ask TFR Show. Uh, maybe your question will make it on the show and we'll, we'll enlighten you on everything that is fantasy rugby. So uh, with that being said, let's move on here, guys, to uh, the news and notes. And I got to say, whole bunch of roster moves going on, but it seems to be only happening from one specific team. And that team just happens to be the team that Vandy is a fan of. So I'm not too sure, Vandy, if you got any uh, inside connections yet with the Utah Warriors, but it seems like your team is absolutely making moves this offseason to prepare themselves for 2023. Sorry, what's that, brother? I was taking my sweater off. Oh, I was just oh, saying you know, that it, he was getting hot just thinking about it. He, was, was. he knew that it was what? coming up. He was getting heated up. You thought, oh, you know, Utah's making all these hot moves. I got to take doing my sweater podcasts, off. Doing these podcasts are Christmas morning, boys. I just get warmed up inside. Oh, yeah. I'm sure <laughs> yeah, you, you uh, My question was, Vandy, you pumped up about all these moves that the Utah Warriors seeming uh, seem to be making? You say okay. yes. I got something to say. Okay. It's – uh, what do you call that? It's – uh. I don't know. I don't know how to feel. Okay. I, I seen Quadrant. I'm all excited about him. Last week, 
Yeah, do and, you have an issue with Utah hating hookers? Do they have something against hookers? I, you think? I, I just don't understand. Um, you think I they're against the importance, them? The importance of the roster spot we gave up and the importance of the salary cap. And, and what's the ratio there? What's more worth? Is is that is that player worth more or is the salary cap worth more or was Quatron worth more? And that's where I'm left off. I'm like, I don't know what we gained and what we lost. The answer right, is well, let's let, let's let's break it the all down here, quadrant. and maybe maybe you'll be feeling a little bit better about this, Vandy, uh, after this segment here. But let, let's break down some of the moves that uh, the Utah Please. Warriors have made over the past week. Yeah, the first one we mentioned it last episode, and we and Vandy was pumped up about it because he had yeah. the hooker replacement. Andrew Quadrant was coming into town, traded from the Toronto Arrows to the Utah Warriors for that extra uh, international slot. Um, it looked like there was the replacement set ready to go for this upcoming season. Vandy was going to draft him first overall he was going to go all right into the fantasy uh, championship get his name on on the jersey back here it was going to be all on the coattails you have to say all i do eh (laughs) right exactly (laughs) (laughs) And, and and lo and behold less than a week later andrew quadrin gets traded to the new england free jacks for 2023 cap consideration you know i'm starting to think that maybe andrew quadrin got traded to utah and said took one flight to utah said uh-uh. Yeah, and then just got sent yeah, right. He's like, you know what? He said, "He said, oh, I'll go to New England. They look like they'll be in a much better position." I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, really interesting, uh, Vandy. You kind of uh, touched on it, but yeah, ultimately the net move ends up being that the Utah Warriors trade away an international uh, an international spot for cap considerations. And you're right; I have no idea what the value of either of those things are. I don't know what Not how much nice cap structure. do they get. I guess not, and I agree with that. I agree with that, Matt. Why don't you get uh, get that off your chest? With, uh, hey, with they're, they're they're not they're not as valuable as Quatrin. You know, these are all salary cap or all what ifs. You know, this international slot bunch of what ifs. Um, you don't know who you're going to get with that. You know, you don't know what you're going to do with this extra salary yeah. cap. But you know that Quatrin can produce. He's proved That's it cool. in this league, not just for MLR but for Canada. Um, this guy was a was a guy that I think Utah should have kept, especially with the position that they were in. You said it, Vandy, you know, Chad Go, but we talked about this last week. It was a great kind of pickup for them. I don't know why, but they decided that that they didn't need the absolute mutant they call Q. From what right. my insiders are telling me. Oh. That it what has it? to be from we either have some... what insiders? You tell hey, me hey, what hey, insiders. Hey, hey, hey. I'm Is this the, never, the 43 guys on Reddit? Hey, oh, the no, 43 man. guys in the Reddit community that you guys hey, talk about, hey, you guys meet up hey, meet up every guys. Wednesday to make sure hey, that you guys have all your sources linked. Hey, hey. 43 guys, I love you. <laughs> no. no, man, for my sources. Yeah, I'll okay. It's got to be something. There's got to be something mm-hmm. in the works as far as a, a draft, uh, an academy player, something of that nature. As well. You think so, eh? I, I got- God, I hope. i guess so yeah because i mean losing uh, getting the hype about quadrant a guy that obviously had huge huge rugby impact huge fantasy rugby impact i mean finishing 183rd ranked on the season uh may not seem that high but hey he was able to get into the tri zone three times started uh 13 matches last year had the opportunity 16 of appearances in there um a total of 822 minutes about um a guy that saw a lot of rugby and was going to make a huge huge impact and now he'll look to do that on uh, doing a Jack. Yeah, and at least Utah can get the the uh, the eighteenth best player in the draft. You know, at least you guys can do that. Yeah, you know, Q eighteenth best player in the draft. 
you know, I guess you guys choose your priorities yourself. You think, you think All right, but that's, an, that's a separate move. We'll get over to that now. Nice segue there, Matt. But yeah, so what moving do. on to the next Utah what Warriors move, uh, the the Utah Warriors have traded away James Vifale to the NOLA Gold for their second, second round pick, their 18th overall for the 2022 MLR Collegiate Draft. So, um, in addition to getting that internet or getting uh, those uh, cap considerations, they now have an extra pick in that second round. I don't, once again, I think as we go on with these years, we'll start to understand what the value of these picks are, what the value of these cap well, considerations are, and this international slot is. So, yeah, right now, I mean, I what a, no what a trade for Nola for getting a player. You know, for I think they have like three or four picks in the first round. So this 18th pick, really, you know, what what's it to them? They have like three or four picks in that first round they're going to get all the guys that they want on their squad in that first round that like what is the second round pick to them um when they don't can get a guy who has experience pick. playing it what do you mean don't underplay that pick well okay i okay so that to be to be devil's advocate oh, for, here, for nola it is it is specifically not as valuable they have yeah. so many yeah, first for sure. round picks, but yeah, for, for any sure. like just for nola this is trade works for them you know but other teams, guys like you know maybe New York rugby, New York, all they've got is that one pick at the end of the at the end of the first round. You know they could have you know they would have valued a second round pick, being able to get another guy to, to to draft. But Nola to them, it's like, hey, we got three three picks in the first round. Like the second round pick, it, we're already going to have our guys after the first round. Yeah, Nola's oh, picking third in the oh. first round, sixth in the first round, seventh in the first round. Uh, they traded away uh, that uh, that uh, that that 18th overall pick, the fifth pick in that second round, and still Nola does have a second round pick still at the end in the 13th. So yeah, for Nola it's a no brainer. But hey, for Utah, I mean, it's not a terrible trade though. You're talking about you're talking about a guy, right? Uh, James Vifale. Uh, let me just pull him up here. Uh, hold on, I believe. He had it wasn't he didn't have any crazy impact last season for the team. So to get a guy and and hey maybe they're trying to open up a roster spot. You know you don't know James Vifale. Uh, he was able to he, he appeared in six matches last season. Uh, three of those he started. Uh, didn't really make any fantasy impact wise. Uh, I'm sure he had a, a bigger impact from a rugby standpoint. But hey, Utah gets a second round pick, one that probably Nola doesn't need, and Nola gets a gets a, a player that they could possibly use. Um, going forward in the 2023 season, so kind of a win-win yeah. situation, I think, for uh, for the two teams. For sure. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, Utah still ain't done. Utah they still ain't done. They got exactly. more moves. So then they said, "Hey, we still don't got enough cap room because we, even though we traded away uh, Andrew Quatrain for cap considerations, you know what? We got to open up more space." And I think this is why Vandy and his sources seem to be thinking that there's some big signing we'll coming because him. they traded away Mike Geiselman. To the Seattle Seawolves, Mike Gieselman. 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 There we go. Yeah, <laughs> Gieselman to the uh, Seattle Seawolves uh, for more salary cap considerations. Uh, Gieselman is a back rower for Utah. Um, he was, uh, let me see here, uh, pull it up. He played in, started three matches, appeared in 12. So had had a significant uh, 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 appearance uh, with the Utah Warriors, but from a stat perspective, not much, at least from a fantasy standpoint. So uh, another player moving on from the Utah Warriors and going to the Seattle Seawolves. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it sounds like the Utah Warriors are really trying to make sure that they don't run into any issues like other teams in the league 
and ensure that they're staying under the cap. Yeah. Boom. Roasted. Exactly. But I don't know. And maybe you guys have some crazy siding coming, but I don't know who you're Missouri learning to Mahomes, come to Utah. Baby, okay? Who are you Missouri learning Mahomes. to Utah? And then just moving on to some uh, quick other roster moves. Uh, the Toronto Arrows, uh, they have announced the return of their franchise points leader, Sam Malcolm. He'll be back in the blue and white playing for the Arrows in this 2023 season. Uh, huge, huge staple uh, from both mm-hmm. the T, uh, from a distribution standpoint at Fly Half, uh, a huge player for the Toronto Arrows. So no surprise that he has committed at least the next season uh, to the Toronto Arrows. So that's interesting enough. And then the Arrows also making another move. They announced the signing of uh of uh nick ben uh canadian eligible australian how do you did i say that right australian australian eligible team canada canadian eligible australian he's an canadian eligible australian yes there we go go. i mean you know these the arrows have such a big advantage being able to pull these guys back from overseas you know some might have some ties to canada just able to pull them back and say, hey, yeah, we'll pay you to play here and also have a chance to represent the country. You know, this guy's 21, I think. And he's coming back. He probably realized that, hey, I'm not playing for the Wallabies. So I might as well go and come back to Canada, get paid to play there, be able to represent a country that his mother was born in, you know? Hey, I think you guys are missing the big one. Because he's Canadian-born. He doesn't take an international spot either. There you go. Another huge one. Oh, so it's so like, there so, we go. so the other thing is the, I thought, you know, initially hey, you look at this. Just and say, the w, boys. <laughs> These sources, baby. The there sources. Okay. The sources are too much in your head, bud. Um, live in there. But what's it called? Sources in there, baby. The international spot. I thought they're going to have to use it for this guy, right? And then they talk about how he's Canadian eligible. Then you bring it up perfectly. He doesn't have to use the international spot. Who are they using this international spot for Q4? This guy better be a pretty valuable guy that they're thinking of signing. But that's a that's a few, you know, big news in the past week of Sam Malcolm and Nick Ben. Yeah. Um, I wonder what else they got up their sleeves, just like Utah. Now, it is interesting, and this is the last thing I want to touch on the Toronto Arrows. Obviously, we mentioned it before that the Toronto Arrows are – they. They have historically have made a huge, huge emphasis on that homegrown talent idea and and really bringing up guys from Canada through their system and and using the Arrows squad as something that is really going to complement Rugby Canada and promote the growth of rugby and skill level north of the border. Um, It does feel like they are slowly maybe not moving away from that, but at least not having as high as an emphasis on it, Mm -hmm. realizing that, hey, maybe we're going to have to do a little bit more and and rely on more international talent to really make moves here in the MLR. I mean, look at Rugby New York. I think exactly. I was just going to say with those guys. I mean, Toronto's. Toronto's been a home for Uruguayans, okay? There's been a bunch of Uruguayans. Gaston Mirez, Thomas, Thomas de la Vega, Mendia, not Mendia, sorry, Thomas de la Vega, you know, all these Uruguayans that are coming there, you know, they they, they have gotten their fair share of international guys. They're just not all blacks and they're not all, you know, wallabies true. and not former, you know, Springboks. True, true, Bro, true. I just had a mental lapse, and I thought you were like, they're not all black. I'm like, whoa, dude, <laughs> take it easy. Relax. Come on, Mandy. Why'd yeah. you have to go there? Mental lapse. Mental lapse. 
All right, and then just a couple last things here. Uh, normally, I have to spend much time on it. A couple front nope. office moves. Ogori DC has named Marcello Blanco as their Ooh. first general manager of business operations in franchise history. It's Not really sure if that's right? going to have really any fantasy impact. And then the Nola Gold have uh, signed general manager Ryan Fitzgerald to a contract extension. So clearly, they are happy with the way that he's uh, he's managed and and uh, and and developed the Nola Gold Club, and he's uh, agreed to a five year contract extension. For the, for the Nola Gold, so definitely uh, in it picks. for in it for the uh, in it for the long haul. Yeah, with having those first uh, those three picks in that first round, uh, I'm I'm assuming maybe he'll provide a little bit of extra motivation. He won't have to be stressing about his job when he's making those picks. So hey, this is true. you never know. And then the last thing I do want to mention here, and we mention it every episode because we got it. It's it, what are we calling it now? So it's got to be like the Gilcrest watch, right? Like we got that's the that's basically it's the what Gilcrest it is. files. Yeah, um, not much, and it's just it's again all of this allegedly uh just uh, thinking things that we're hearing through kind of the cracks and stuff i've heard comments um about things like this but it does seem like negotiations in terms of that whole situation between gilcrest between the league between potential future owners have been going on smoothly uh bill webb the uh the Mr. toronto arrows co-founder he uh he hopped on the uh the the, the our friends over at uh, the rugby wrap-up who participated some of them participated in our fantasy Rutgers playoff challenge uh they had an opportunity to interview him and and he has said on there that the AG and LAG negotiations have been pretty civil. And he believes, he thinks that there will be 13 teams next season. So not really any shocking news, but whether or not we know that Austin is going to still be in Austin, we still don't know. But at least we'll know that those two teams aren't going anywhere in terms of the actual team themselves. So uh, just a little update there for you guys, because I know we got to mention it every single week because we want to yeah. be the first to to say it when uh, when those teams do inevitably either move or uh, change ownership or what have you. So hey, some Mr. Gokas, come speak your mind on this show. All right. You know, Mr. <laughs> William Webb got to speak his mind. Now you tell your story on our show. We're happy to have you. Man. There we go. And then the last thing you guys talked about, oh, the all blacks. You guys talked about the All Blacks. You guys talked about uh, the Wallabies. We got to talk a little bit about international rugby here. I just want to touch it. What happened over the past weekend when it comes to the rugby championship? New Zealand just not looking the way that they used to. When was the last time that uh, New Zealand has dropped all the way down to fifth? And we have two northern hemispheres, uh, hemisphere teams, one and two with Ireland and France. Pretty crazy stuff, man. A wild, wild time for uh, the world of rugby, both overseas and here uh, here uh, stateside in the MLR. So just something that I, I wanted to kind of lay out there as people kind of think about and ponder what has happened to what used to be known as the most dominant rugby club in the entire world. Not looking so dominant uh, as of right now, but we'll see whether or not they can shift things around. So with that being said, that wraps up our news and notes portion of the show. Time to move on. What most of you have all been waiting for is the consistency rankings and this is something that i know is very valuable in other fantasy sports we're going to find out like i said at the top of the show whether or not this consistency stuff has as big of an impact as it does in fantasy rugby in the mlr as well we understand and we mentioned it before in this show too about the volatility of fantasy rugby as the way it stands in our league just based on the scoring how it's very heavily uh try reliant uh you're really looking for those kickers you're looking for guys that have heavy uh, uh heavy heavy inter interaction with uh, the ball on the field things like that we'll see whether or not this consistency stuff really does uh does make a difference here so uh let's let's break it all down and the way the way i want to outline it to you guys first kind of the way that i've structured this before we really dive into it i've i've categorized performances in four distinct categories 
poor performances, okay performances, good performances, great performances. Okay. So those are kind of just your kind of your benchmark kind of thing. So great performances is going to be anything above 10 points. Good performances is going to be anything above uh, anything above uh, five points. Okay performances is anything above one point, and then poor performances is anything below that. Because I think okay, like if you can get a guy to get the full eighty minutes, you know, you're at least somewhat, you know, content okay. with them being able to at least put one point on the board. I mean, we've some we've seen some pretty low scoring uh, point affairs, and that one point can go a long, long way. I mean, we throw it back to when West faced Rugby Morning and lost by uh, point one, or when uh, Matt was it you who tied with Malcolm there, I believe, in the season two. Hey, that one point would have gone a, a, a long, long way. So uh, we're yeah. gonna break down how consistent some of these guys were, who were the most consistent by position in our league. Um, and, and we'll go through all of the positions there. So I want to start off with uh, with front row players here Ooh. and who was the most consistent out of all of our front row. Um, and and there are some interesting names. And, and what I determined was that players would have needed to um, to play in at least eight matches. In order to qualify for this uh, consistent ranking, Matt, you mentioned before the show, hey, they got to be on the field at least to be somewhat consistent. I thought if they can appear at least in half of them, uh, you know, keeping injuries in mind, keeping other things in mind, um, you know, probably towards the end of the season, some of the better teams, you know, resting some of the guys, things like that. So just want to uh, want to uh, keep that uh, up there and, and at the top of our minds there. So to top it off, uh, I'm going to list off the top three top three most consistent uh, front row players that got at least okay performances, okay? So from an okay performance standpoint, the most consistent player was Dean Muir of Houston. And we knew how how impactful he was uh, at that hooker position for the Sabercats. 60% of the matches that he appeared in, he was at least scoring one point. Uh, Follow that up by Hugh Roach of, uh, of, uh, of the Gilgronies on Austin. Uh, 58% of the time scoring at least one point. And then Marco Jan von Rensburg, 50% Ooh. of the time he was scoring at least one point for a squad. Uh, then we'll move over to to, uh, to good performances, you know, Dean Muir, 46% of the time, uh, uh, Hugh Rose, 50% of the time, and Marco Jan von Rensburg, 42% of the time, they were scoring at least five points. So uh, wow. with those three players in mind, does that really surprise you there to have those guys up there? I mean, those are the guys that we really talked about all year. So, say, you know, Dean Muir, Jan, Marco, Bond, John, Marco Bond, Jan's, John's, Bond's, Cons, yeah, you know, that guy, guy, that guy was always on our radar, right? Every and, week. And Dean Muir was honestly just the clear cut, you know, that crazy trade in the middle of the year of our fantasy record season. Yeah. And uh, he was Demon just the clear cut. In. Yeah. He was just a clear cut front row guy that you knew was going to score points. Uh, but hey, Dean, congrats, man. You're 60% of the time, you're okay. 48% of the time, you're pretty good. How many times is he great, Ryan? How many times is he great? Well, I think that goes to show you, though, how volatile this front row position is because he only had one great performance all season long. So only 6% of the time was he getting a great performance, though. Uh, But, I mean, to mention it, I mean, the highest great performance was two great performances on the year, um, and that was going to uh, Peter Malcolm of San Diego, who had 12 appearances. Two of those were great performances, so 16% of the time uh, he was... uh, 
was getting uh, great performances. Uh, Pat O'Toole on NOLA, he appeared in 11 matches last season, 18% of those, two of, the, two of them, great performances. So I think from the front row position, I think we're really counting on them, just really getting those, you know, five point range, you know, getting, yeah. getting in there. Um, I mean, but, do you uh, want, do you want to like, do you want two times they play great or you want, and, and the rest of the time they're playing poor? Or do you want guys like Dean Muir who 46% of the time are playing good, right? Like that's yeah. half the season half they're the playing good. And uh, like if to get that from your front row, that's, that, that's definitely a plus and an advantage you got there. Yeah, so just going down the list from good performances, which again is the over five points. That is Hugh Roach at fifty percent, Dean Muir at forty six percent, and Marco Jan Von Marco yeah, Jan von Rensberg at forty two point eight percent, and their fantasy rankings respectively fifty fifth overall for Hugh Roach, fourteenth for Dean Muir, Ooh, and then thirty sixth wow. for Marco Jan von Rensberg. Oh, so clearly, is... we're starting to answer the question here that consistency is pretty key when it comes to. Uh, pushing yourself up there in those uh in those fantasy ranking point or fantasy ranking standing so those were your uh front row positions so now now let's go to the position i know that you guys absolutely love and have so much fantasy impact and that is the second row because you guys you guys (laughs) you guys love the second row position um if i i'm just sorting it out here seeing out who is at the top for okay performances tavita nakali of DC, Nate Brakely of Rugby New York, and then Ben Mitchell of San Diego. So, oh. uh, so nine performances, nine okay performances out of eleven <laughs> for Tavita Nikali. Uh, Ten out of uh, thirteen performances for Nate Brakely, and twelve out of uh, sixteen performances for Ben Mitchell hey, were hey, okay I was, performances. I was out here thinking we were never going to see a guy on our team on one of these lists. Because our, yeah. our guys are never consistent enough for us, but hey, and this I is and it, Mitchell out here, and I'm hyped. And now, what now, see the the thing is though, the thing is, wow. is that when you start then looking at, and I think this is more of an indicator of how kind of volatile the second row position is, and how much harder that is, how how much harder it is to predict. Um, remember when we did the uh, the the flex and the fantasy roster construction episode a few weeks back? We really start to realize that you know having a front rower at that. Uh, forward flex position may be very valuable having that you know spine back row position having an eight man there that is really involved uh is going to have you know that that advantage of playing at that forward flex position second row was not up there and that's why i kind of sarcastically yeah. said yeah. that second row was your favorite position yeah. to to understand um but yeah I was, okay I was consistent at the uh at, at the worst position that's good now, do you want to know who the best second rower, the most consistent second rower, and I shouldn't even say consistent because it really wasn't that consistent, but the, 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 the second rower that had the most good performances in their season? Lay it on me, Kamish. Who is it? Johan Mumsen ah. of Rugby Atlanta scoring four good performances, so getting at least five points in a week. He was able to do that 26% of the time, and that was four out of the 15 appearances that he had. So That was another guy that was on my squad. There you look go. At, look at me go. Hey, I'm killing it. I'm killing it in the second row, baby. Last. <laughs> because it's the second row. It's the least valuable position. They don't do anything for you. That's Every why all my guys that I picked well in were in this position. Just wait. None of the other positions I'm going to have any guys in, and that's how it's just going to be. 
very very true and and just to just to kind of put a bow on how inconsistent this second row position is only two times the entire 2022 season were there ever a second rower that scored over 10 points it was Paul Cellini and Yuri Van Vuren and those are the only two guys that ever scored more than 10 points. Paul Cellini was that one week when it was, what, his 50th Yeah, half, Mick Rogers, you did that. Right? You did yeah. that yourself. <laughs> you gave him that try. You gave him that great performance. But hey, you're, you're another guy on my squad. Look at that. Look wow. At you, look at hey. the most consistent. Hey, the most Obviously. consistent second row picker <laughs> you know of all time. Diggers, eh? I know um, exactly how to pick the least valuable position, boys. <laughs> all right, so let's let's now move on to the uh, the back row position and talk nah, about players nah. that were there. Um, okay, performances. This is where you really start to see guys really start making an impact because this is where guys, you know. I think we talked to, I believe it was Steven a while back, and, and maybe Rugby Morning uh, Fitzy said it as well about how. There's this kind of polarizing idea of whether or not you go for guys in your starting lineup that you know are going to get the 80 minutes, you know, that are no, you know, that are going to get that one point. Or do you kind of risk it and maybe side with the guy that may you may think or may know won't play that full 80 minutes or 70 minutes and get you that minutes bonus point, but has that increased um, chance or increased likelihood of getting into the try zone because of their involvement in the set piece or what have you. Um, But when you're looking down the list, man, there are a lot of back row players that are pretty damn consistent at getting you at least one point. We're talking about guys like Bailey Wilson, Benjamin Bonasso, Matt Heaton, Cam Dolan, Michael DeWall, Lucas Rumble. These are guys that are above 80% of the time scoring you at least one point. But their their percentages when it comes to good performances, getting yeah. you at least you know five points, at least ten points, it falls off pretty quickly. So kind of that idea of siding with different guys is pretty interesting. So I want to really highlight who is consistent from the back row position last season at getting at least a good performance because it, clearly a lot of back row players were able to get at least one point not often where they're getting subbed out so i don't think you're having any particularly big advantage by picking guys like that so you're looking for guys that are scoring tries the top consistent guys at scoring good performances that is more than five points was or excuse me more was it yeah more than five points was hanko germicius at 66 percent eight of his 12 appearances were over five points followed by lo and behold reichert hatting we knew that he was going to be up there seven of his six or 16 appearances were above five points that is 43 percent and then that's followed by gideon van wick which had five good performances 38 percent of the time out of his 13 appearances or excuse me five out of his 12 appearances were uh were above five points and then to wrap it off slade mcdowell of the new england free Jets also having five good performances over a uh, 13 appearances over the course of 2022 anything kind of jump out to you there guys yeah that's a lot of names that i didn't have on my team <laughs> i mean the hanko is that what this is going to be matt just like oh that guy was on my team all oh, that guy wasn't that's that's going to be the basis of your analysis <laughs> oh, it's not going it? to be the basis it's just telling me why i got you know last place i'm just i'm just i'm just hearing that Clearly, I've made some consistency, wrong consistency issues and decisions. And when consistency is key, you got to make the right decisions. But I'm not surprised by any of those names. Those guys are a bunch of studs. 
And the way that I'm starting to get this as we're breaking down the numbers is that, yeah, it's going to be important to get those guys. And I think the, okay, when it comes to fantasy, you know, fantasy rugby in the MLR, I mean, we saw it a lot where some guys would have these explosive games. And I'm sure we're going to see it a lot more when it comes to uh, the back three position, because you're going to have some guys, you know, that went off for 25 plus points, right? And that accounts for more than, you know, a quarter of the fantasy points that they had all season. That's not very consistent. And that's not helping you win matches. You, you th- the guys that come to mind, uh, Jason Dominguez, uh, you know, Wes had him. He was on Brilliant. a tear at the start of the season, scored most of his fantasy points, was still able to fall, f- was still able to finish pretty high in the fantasy rankings. But a lot of that coming from a select few games. So I think this is what, what's becoming clear to me, guys, going into the next year's draft is that you're not looking at total fantasy points. You're not mm-hmm. looking at the production. You're looking at how many times was this guy able to get above a certain point threshold, and will he be yeah. able to do that for me throughout the season? Because it's going to be way more valuable for you to guy. For let's say you have two players, right? Both of them finish in the top fifty, but one guy scores half of his points in two games versus a guy that is able to just get five points, five points, five points, well, five points. You know, you know what? what? It I reminds mean? me a lot of like my Mitch Wilson pick. Where he would okay. do nothing, nothing, right. nothing, zeros, like get legitimately zeros, and then pop off for fifteen. I think he did that two or three times this season, and I, I'm telling you right now, he probably didn't get five points five times. Right, and every time, 10, and every three. time he did get fifteen, he was sitting on your bench because you didn't trust him to get fifteen because hey, he was getting so many zeros. Who right, who am I played him? Get out ah, of here! Come on, get out of here! Didn't help you much, right. anyways. All right, so now now moving on to a very notable position. You guys could probably guess who was the most consistent guy when it came to this position, but it's time to look at the fly half position before we get to the scrum half. We're going to get to fly half first. Exactly. younger, baby. (laughs) No, not scrum half, not scrum. We're getting fly half first. Fly half, fly half, fly half, fly half. So we're starting off at the top. We know who's at the top. We know who scored the most fantasy points this year, and that is Bodine Walker. Um, Most consistent when it comes to good performances. 66% of the time, he was scoring above five points. Uh, uh, That was 10 out of his 15 appearances. But what gets really, really special is the fact that 26, a quarter of his performances, he was scoring at least 10 points. You know, four times in a season, he's scoring above 10 points. And that in some weeks, that can decide you, that could automatically decide you a week because we had. We had fantasy managers throughout the season that weren't able to break the ten point threshold with an entire with an entire uh, entire roster of players. So uh, very very interesting. Um, not going to go from the fly half position by okay performances out of the top ten guys. Basically all of them were kickers, so we knew that these guys were going to score yeah. at least one point. I was so it's say, really yeah. what what is really really going for me at least at the fly half position is these good performances and these great performances. So like I said, Bodin Waka at the top 66% of the time with good performances. That's followed up by recently signee. We just talked about him. Sam Malcolm, 61% of the time, eight of his 13 performances were good performances followed by Mac Mason and then AJ Alatimu, a guy uh, that, that is, is, is pretty uh, was, was making a tear towards the end of the season there. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty solid stuff. And the reason why, Joe Peterson is not on this list is because I believe he lost his eligibility um, towards the end of the fantasy season to be back three. So we'll see his name in a little bit later. But I, do you guys agree with me? That's what we're looking for, right? Good performances when it comes yeah. to fly out positions, well, uh, similar to the back row. Yeah, I was, I, was, I, was, I, was, 
mean, yeah, exactly. And I, like I was going to say that the kickers, it, it's, it skews, it skews the points up every time, right? You yeah. know, like one is almost a given. And when you're thinking about the guy that you're assigning kicker, you know, you think of the guy that you're assigning that kicker, uh, uh, you know, eligibility. If you get one point from your kicker, I mean, you're disappointed. That's terrible, That's right, terrible right, right. right? Like you're looking for those goods. You're looking for at least the five points from those, those yeah. kickers, you know, and 10 when you really, when that guy's really on. So yeah, I, totally you, agree. I agree. You expect five. Oh yeah. yeah you, you, and you're, you're right to expect five. Yep. Right. And, and since you guys are expecting five, let's move up and let's raise that bar a little bit. Let's go to who is the most consistent or at least who oh. most of the time is scoring at least 10 points. And once again, Bodine Waka is up there 26% of the time. Like I mentioned, a quarter of the season in his appearances was he scoring above 10 points. But some surprising names, Rohan Saifaloy, three of his uh, 12 performances were above that 10-point threshold. And then AJ Alatimu was, uh, was next coming up there, uh, three uh, performances above that 10-point threshold out of his 15 so kind of interesting i would have expected honestly a lot more a great performances by these kickers um but hey they're they're hard to come by and, and hard to get those dominant performances i kind of um vanny and you'll you'll probably relate to this a little bit i kind of relate this fly hat position or at least whoever you have kicking kind of as your quarterback quote unquote you yeah. expect in fantasy football your quarterback to get points, at, least at least 20 points right 15 yep. to 20 points anything below that you're pretty disappointed um when you compare that to a, a to a running back in fantasy football if a running back gets 20 points you're like oh my god this is a fantastic week right if if uh if a running back gets 10 points you're like oh that's a you know that's a solid week not not great but not not terrible but if your quarterback if your quarterback gets 10 points you're you're pissed about it so kind of a similar situation you're dropping the next week (laughs) exactly so a similar situation here um very very interesting an interesting tidbit though out of all the fly halves that played this season the only only fly half that was able to get an unreal performance not once but twice and that is 20 plus points was Bodine Waka no other fly half all season long passed that 20 point threshold so that just showed you how much of an advantage it was to have Bodine Waka at least in this past season um, on your fantasy team yeah there's only one Bodine Waka and that guy is a Waka flock of walking flame and hey, well-deserved contract overseas in Japan now. Uh, definitely, yeah. just, I'd say just well-deserved. Yeah. So uh, I no more twenty-plus points for us. Yeah. Hey, you'll <laughs> be looking. To, you'll be looking for another guy that's going to be able to do that, that next is season. Crazy when you think about it. Like he's just right? gone. Like he's just not in the league anymore. <laughs> and I mean that. And that. And that's the the nature of the MLR, right? When you're when you're playing, when you're watching and consuming a league, and in this case, when you're creating a fantasy league that's surrounded by a league that is essentially a stepping stone for guys to move on to bigger and better leagues. This is going to happen. I guess it just adds to that whole fantasy, uh, fantasy fun where guys are trying to deal with it. Imagine doing a keeper league. (laughs) Oh, Oh dude, that, that would be ridiculous. You wouldn't know who to keep every, any year. You'd be like, what the heck is going on? What the heck is going on? Every one of your keepers would just be gone. Just signing contracts overseas and you're left with nothing. Exactly. All right. So moving on now to the scrum half position again with the scrum half position, because of the amount of time that they, uh, that they, uh, interact with the ball and the amount of times that they're really, uh, the, the primary distributor, the amount of times that they are around the ball, around the breakdowns and things like that. Um, you would expect that this position is getting at least an okay performance. And that is that is clear by the numbers. You're looking at even uh, the lowest of the lows of the scrum halves are still at least getting 
at least one point sixty six percent of the time. So clearly, there's an advan- There isn't an advantage there when it comes to picking scrum halves that are at least getting you one point. You want more from the scrum half position. Maybe not as quite as much as the fly half position when they're kicking, but definitely uh, somewhat of of increased output from a fantasy perspective over just racking up those eighty minutes played. So we're going to go to good performances. Again, that's at least five points scored. And your top consistent guys at there is Harrison Goddard, Ross Brody, and Niles Saunders. You got 33% for Goddard, 30% for Brody, and Saunders 30%. Uh, uh, Saunders, three out of his 10 appearances were good performances. Three out of 10 performances for Ross Brody was uh, good appearances. And five out of 15 appearances for Harrison Goddard were were, were, um, good performances as well. Hey, yeah, I'm not does, surprised uh, there. Where does my boy Yogurt square up on yes, that? Yes, Holden Younger. Let's go. Let's take a look at here. So Holden Younger. Yeah, only this guy was. He had, he had 11 appearances on the season. Go. And he was there only able to get a good performance 0% of the time. Oh, so- God. Way to go, Randy. Got him in the starting lineup for all 11 of those games. That was good. So, um, and even uh, even a better fact, you know how I said that 66% where that's like most of the scrum halves? Uh, well, Holden Youngert is only getting an okay performance 9% of the time. Oh, there one you go, Vandy. That's your guy right his, there. One out of his 11 appearances was he getting at least one Shut point. Up, boy. So, <laughs> oh, that was a dark you know, time. You know, you stuck with him. You stuck with him. What what a courageous thing for you to do, man. Hey, oh, hey, younger appreciates like, it. Hey, but Matt, I felt you like I enjoy- had a target on my back at that point in the league. <laughs> there isn't. There wasn't. I wish I could sit here and say I was looking or I wasn't looking for a nine. There wasn't a single nine to pick up. It's going to be, Vandy, it's going to be like the tight end position, man. It's going to be like even more so than a fly half. Literally the hardest way you could find that out. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to want to pick a scrum half, especially because I remember going into last season, we made the ultimate decision to split up the scrum half and the fly half. I think originally we were thinking about having that kind of mixed position, that halfback position to go in there. Um, But I think... And I think we made the right decision. They're just the importance the right of the call. scrum half and the importance of the fly half. It's good to that we split them up. But that depth of that position, the amount of players that oh. are going to be available to you on a weekly basis to pick up is not going to be there. So, hey, tip, tip for the guys that are joining leagues next season or that are in our league, yes. in the Fantasy Rutgers League next season. Hey, he might not, the fly half and scrum half that you're picking may not have the most points when it comes up your time to draft. But hey, if he's a solid scrum half, he's a solid fly half that you know is going to be getting minutes and is no, he's going to be distributing the ball and can at least get more than 0% good performances than all hey, the other Yogurt's <laughs> then, for uh, a, good, a good year this year. Come on. Watch him yeah. pop off this year. Right. It's it's the he has the when the chops come out, it'll be it'll be it'll be good. When Holden Maybe Younger has, has the chops there, yeah. it'll, it'll Maybe be Maybe he has good. to um, shave him for him to be good. Maybe I'll make him faster, but Matt, hey, your, hey, your... he scores a try and he just rips him off. They're fake the whole time. No. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's how we. <laughs> Jeez, uh, Matt, you'll you'll like this one. You'll like this one. The uh, only scrum half that was scored oh, an unreal baby. performance all Tell season me his long. Name. You know exactly Tell which week this name. was. You know exactly which week this was. Hey. Jason Higgins. Ooh. Yes. I think what was it the two or three try performance that one week? That was the three try had. performance that got me. Oh, that got me good. That got me good. I just kept riding that Jason Higgins train, and he ended up scoring <laughs> a hat trick that week. 
that, that was good. That was a, a non-stressful week for you there, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah when I saw good. him score two fifty-yard or fifty-meter tries, that was about when I said, "Oh, I don't have to. I don't have to worry about this week anymore." Yeah, GG. All right. Well, let's move on to the uh, the center position here, guys, and talk about uh, who were the most consistent amount centers. Now, this is a position again. Not many centers are getting subbed out. I feel like there a lot of them are getting that one point. They're hitting that 80, 80 minute threshold, if not at least the 70 minute threshold. So again, we want to take a good hard look at the good performances. Are they scoring? Are they doing more than just being on the field? Are they getting try assists? Are they able to score points? Maybe there's some centers out there that even kick too. We talk about guys like William Tylotina. He was able to kick this year that added to that, uh, that point threshold there. So top guys here. Junior Sal, Mark O'Keefe, Giuseppe Detroit, and William Talatina. 46% for Sal, 42% for Keefe, Giuseppe Detroit, 40%, and then we got William Talatina at 37% there. Well, that one surprised me. I did not think to hear Giuseppe in there at, uh, at the center position getting 46% of the time. I mean, I don't even think he played. He started that many games, and he's still getting... Uh, He's still getting that uh that forty six percent of the time. I mean that's impressive. Forty percent. Forty percent of the time. That's still you know I did not expect that name. The other guys you know I expect, but Giuseppe that was that I was mean, that was news to me. It's a minimum of what eight games you said, Ryan. Minimum of eight games. He made ten so appearances. Forty percent could be three games. He made ten appearances, so yeah, four oh. four of his four of his games were 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 uh, good performances. Hey, that's still pretty that's decent still confidence. I mean, like, hey, you 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 got. A, a, a decent chance that he's going to score yeah. more than at least one point yeah. come on a weekly basis. But to your point, Matt, that was reflective of the rankings, right? Yeah. Maybe he was able to get those 40%, but those other, you know, 10, those other 10 performances may have not been up there. Um, I believe we're looking here. Yeah. If, 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 he wasn't just scoring one point. He was either getting more points or he wasn't yeah. getting any points at all. And that yeah, is reflective enough. in his in his rankings. He finished 100th on the fantasy rankings. But when you're looking at Junior Sau, he finished 15th in the season yeah. rankings. Marco Keith 12th. And yeah. William Tylatina 5th. So Marco obviously, Keith. I think the learning point here is that you can't just take it for its face value. You're going to have to combine the total fantasy points there with the consistency. But at this point, honestly, guys... I would probably weigh the consistency, these percentages, way yeah. more than I would just total fantasy points at this point. Because, I I mean, to be honest, that's what we went off of last season for when I released the uh, the draft rankings for you guys uh, without yeah. any any prior knowledge. And that, that wasn't necessarily the most... Right. How'd that work <laughs> for us, Andy? How did that go work on that cheat sheet? Exactly. Um, couple, a couple of things here to note. No unreal performances by centers all season long. So no center scored over 20 points. Uh, looking at great I mean, performances, there was a huge, huge threshold and uh, discrepancy between the top guy here. William Talatina, five ooh. great performances. 31% wow. of the time he was scoring over 10 points. But wow. the, caveat, the caveat here, though, he was a kicker. So uh, kicking go. is going to go into it, and that is what yeah. is uh, your little sneaky event. cheater, Talatina, trying to sneak your way into <laughs> these great performances. There we go, and I'll sneak in. Uh, yeah, sneak there's in definitely Doug. an asterisk there. 
Yeah, yeah. I think anytime you see a K eligibility beside his name, yeah. you can automatically assume that the the expectation increases tenfold um, when it comes to point uh, point production when uh, when you're talking about guys who have that kicking eligibility. So yeah. interesting there. Now it's time to get to the interesting position. I think this is the position. Ooh. I think this is the position that everyone is waiting for because yep. these were the yep. go big or go home big type boys. guys. These were the yep. guys that were scoring you weeks. There's a whole yep. bunch of them. Right. Oh, yeah. And it was hard to choose who was going to do it on a weekly basis. But here we're going to find out who was able to do it the most consistently from the back three position. That's including your wingers. That's including your fullbacks. And the uh, I, I what do you want to go here by guys? You want to go by OK or do you want to go straight to the good performances? Give me the great performances. Great performance. All right. I like that. Let, let, let's go into the great performances for sure. So. Wow. OK, interesting. Very, very interesting. So your top guys here. Joe Peterson, thirty-three percent of the time uh, he was getting caveat. Uh, caveat yes, he was Asterix. a kicker. So five great performances there. Thirty-three percent of the time, this is a big one. Ed Fidow, yeah. he was the most Man. consistent at getting great performances. Not surprising, he finished second on the season, no. one hundred and seventeen total fantasy points. Thirty-three uh, percent, like I said, he was getting great performances. Forty-six percent of the time, he was scoring at least five points. So almost oh. half. The time wow. he was scoring, uh, ha- uh, he was scoring at least five points. Um, yeah, pretty impressive stuff, man. Ed Fido, I, I think that was something that you guys probably could have predicted. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then coming up behind him, Penny Lasaka ranked at tenth. Yeah. Uh, rook- uh, yeah, Penny Lasaka, twenty eight percent of the time was his great performances. Four out of his fourteen appearances were over ten points. Um, and then uh, Mitch Wilson, Vandy, three of his thirteen performances were were um, in the uh, above that ten point threshold, twenty three percent of the time. Now, I think what's interesting is the good performances because I feel like. When it comes to the back three position, it was boom or bust, right? They were either mm-hmm. getting zero points or they're either getting more than five, more than 10. They were scoring that try. Once again, Joe Peterson was up there at 66% of the time. Obviously, there was a caveat there. Penny Lasaka, 57% of the time. He oh. was uh, uh, also up there, though. Uh, but I think there's a caveat behind beside his name as well because he also had the, that kicking eligibility. Not necessarily did he do it every single time, but there were a couple games in there where he was kicking. So that may have boosted okay. up his points a little bit ed fida was up there but some other names that are added to the list paula bellicana 45 percent of the time five of his 11 performances were above uh uh uh, five of his 11 performances were above five points but a big one here vandy you had him renata roberts tanana 42 percent of the time finished eighth on the season uh from a fantasy points perspective six of his 14 appearances had uh had that above that five point threshold so it's pretty interesting to see um, you know, kind of that, that that varying. If there were meters the run as an asterisk or as a as a statistic, man, that boy would have yeah, so him, many points. Why don't you oh, count him this season? Eh? And, and I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna say the same thing about Slade McDowell when we were talking about the back row positions because if we added hitting in there, that would have oh. been a whole different story as well. Hey, I right? had, so I had Smith though. I had Mike Smith. Hey, Mike yeah, Smith would have got you late. all the points if we had tackling, but I oh think that's a conversation God. for another time. And then funny enough, unreal performances. <laughs> and I'm, what I'm what I'm starting to get here, guys, is that there were not many unreal performances this season above 20 points. There was only one back three position that got an unreal performance. Only one guy, and he did it twice. And feed out twice. He was able to uh, succeed oh, that two, uh, that uh, that uh, twenty point threshold. 
I'm starting to realize that there's only a select few guys that can really do that on a on a weekend. And obviously, there's How a little bit of walking ball. Hey, well, well, I think I think I found out why when I was watching the the uh, the Canterbury team face the uh, Manawa two turbos um, against him, and this guy got absolutely torched. I mean. Man, you got to watch the highlights. This guy looked like he'd never. He he, he looked like he was not number two in the MLR. Okay, who? Ed Fido. He's playing in New oh. Zealand right now, and he got absolutely torched. I mean, the guy clapped his hands trying to make a tackle. I swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This guy, You're, this guy who had two Danny, unreal performances in our to, league. I know that the the most of your rugby experience these days have become through the MLR, man. I know Steven kind of gave you a shout out in the Discord channel. He said, "Hey, man, have you been watching all any of this miter uh, miter hey, this miter?" I just seen that now, brother. Um, and and uh, man, if you are able to catch any of these games, Vandy, uh, you'll start to realize the uh, the skill level difference between the top guys in this league and the top guys overseas. But nonetheless, um, it just goes to show you if any of those guys come over here to MLR to play out their glory days, the guys like Nehe Milner Scudder, guys like Wasaki Nahalo, they can easily, easily uh, find a way to dominate the league. So yep. definitely something to uh, to keep an eye on. But uh, hey, that's that's the consistency stuff. Um, I'll Ooh. try to get these numbers out to our league members oh I'll just try to us post just us ryan you don't <laughs> need to send it out to everybody hold uh, on yeah, just, yeah. just us they, they can calculate it themselves they've got spreadsheets okay just All right, us. Thanks everybody for tuning in. yeah yeah thanks everybody you can you can just not have this you know forget all the stuff you heard this is our uh, seat but uh nonetheless though is there what are your overarching as we close out this show guys your overarching kind of takeaways from hearing these numbers and hearing this consistency percentages from players at each position. You know, the one thing okay. that I noticed is that, yeah, okay, yogurt, that's your big takeaway. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, a position. it's your big donut, a big donut of a takeaway. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that I realize is that I don't want to look at the unreal performances. You know, I don't need to know guys that are putting up unreal performances two out of the 12 appearances that they have. Right. It's those guys that are putting up good performances over 50 percent of their appearances. You know that half the season that you're getting at least five points out of these guys. And and if you can stack up a bunch of those guys and have them be scoring five points for half your season at different times of the year, you know, you're setting yourself in for a good one. And, and that's definitely something that I'm going to be looking at um, when we're, when we're heading into the next draft and when we're preparing for the next draft um, and definitely something that will not be available to the public. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I think I take the the football approach in that, and I think it's always good to have one boomer bus guy. Yeah. Looking Fair back, enough. I wish I didn't have Roberts and Mitch Wilson. They're very similar type in that, but I would I don't regret having them. I, I would definitely do it again next year. Hey, how yeah. much booming did uh, yogurt do for you? <laughs> Lots of booming. Eh? Now, hey, he boomed a lot. Oh, he booming zeros <laughs> all over my board, baby. Yeah, oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> but uh, no, that's a good that's a good that's a good point. I Mandy. believe I mean, in him too. No, you didn't. For 10 weeks, I believe. You didn't like him. You were Um, desperate. You had him because you had to. But that that is a good point, guys. I mean, I think you're going to win a lot of weeks. You're going to win a lot of weeks if you can get those guys that are going to be able to get good performances, especially if you're able to stack them up, like you said, Matt. But I think what's going to bring home, what's going to get you guys this chip back here is going to have that one guy. He's going to have that Ed Fida. He's going to have that one Bodine Waka. If you have that guy... That's what's going to get your name on this jury. Yeah, so we'll see true. whether or not and, uh, whether or not that will be the case next year. And hey, everybody, take it from me: you can't score, you can't win win weeks if you're not scoring over ten points. I know this from experience. 
Don't be me. There we go. So a nice lesson for everyone. So final question here, because we asked at the top of the show, guys, is consistency key when it comes to fantasy rugby in the MLR? Uh, yes. You know, at the end of it, no. Come on, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we go through yeah. all of that. I thought we said none of these numbers matter or whatever. Yes, at the hey, end of the hey, show. Hey, we're starting over here. We boys. said we would answer yes, and you come in here blowing everything up. <laughs> there we go. So, all right. Well, that that just about does it there. We'll finish off there. We'll be back next week. Um, Going to have a different show next week. I believe it is yeah. just going to be either me and Vandy next week or just myself because there's some conflicting time issues. But we're going to give you a nice little draft preview next week on what I'll you can you. expect on that Thursday, August 18th. But with that being said, for Matt Yee, for Devin Vandy Vanderpool, I'm Ryan Yee. And we'll be back then. Make sure you stay tuned. Mr. Go, Chris, sponsor us. You've been listening to the Fantasy Ruckers Show, bringing fantasy rugby to the masses, covering everything rugby from the MLR and beyond. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review, and be sure to tell all your friends. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, connect with us on social media at the Fantasy Ruckers. Till next time, this is the Fantasy Ruckers Show, signing off.